The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. At that name, death has to bow. It has to take a back seat. It has no power, Lord. We're so thankful for that. We're thankful for that powerful name. We get to sing about it. We get to uh, worship you. And uh, Lord, I pray that our lives going forward would proclaim the power of that name. Lord, would you shape us during this time that we may do that well uh, the rest of this day and throughout our lives, uh, proclaim that powerful name in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Oh, hey, I need to mention two announcement thing-wise just to add to it. Uh, in addition to the regular offering boxes, when we do communion, we have a benevolent fund box out here. And I did want to mention, um, just to tell you a little bit about that fund, we generally use that when there are specific needs, like in the church, somebody will come and they've got something going on, sometimes we can help out. However, that is also... Uh, an, there's also an option that somebody outside the church calls. And I think you're probably aware of this. You have to be somewhat careful because some people just make the rounds and hit every church. Uh, uh, but we are familiar with a need uh, of Lady Ann Niles as a friend of somebody in our church that uh, has, I think, some very legitimate needs as far as making some rent payments. She has some very, health pro very bad health problems and some things like that, and she really needed some help. Um, I actually missed... The calculation on how much was in the benevolent fund and overgave this week uh, by a little bit. But I did want to mention we'll, anything that we get over a couple hundred dollars more that, that we've already given, uh, we'll send this lady's way. I just, I just want to mention that if that would be something God laid on your heart that, boy, I'd like to help out. Uh, actually, it is a friend of, uh, I can tell you, Linda Shawa. Linda's down the hallway with the kids today. But, uh, you know, just a, an opportunity to mention that I wanted to share. There was another announcement I wanted to mention. What was that? I don't know. Maybe we'll remember it later, uh, but um, we'll move forward here. We are moving into the book of Joshua, chapters 4 and 5. We have looked at uh, crossing the Jordan last week. Before that, we looked at the little reconnaissance mission and Rahab's involvement, and we talked about just the organization. Apparently, once you cross the Jordan River, once you make a decision for Christ, uh, there are still some important, important things God wants to tell you before you go charging into the battle. Okay, so next week we're into the battle. We're into the battle of Jericho. But before we get there, there's a few things God wants us to know. It looks like kind of a weird little battle plan. Now, I, I hope you'll appreciate this. You saw Josh's eagle shirt, always kids, except for so Sophie, poor little orphan girl, had no eagle shirt. Uh, the rest of them are all wearing the eagle shirts. I thought in honor of Josh and the Super Bowl, I put this in eagle's colors. You like that? There, there, there you go. Some of you don't, don't like that at all. But what we're going to talk about today, uh, some of you might know, that's the Chiefs colors. By the way, um, this is not a Chiefs sweater. This is a Valentine sweater my wife got me, in case you wondered. I'm not trying to fight against Josh with the whole sweater thing. My wife said, here, here's a red sweater, wear it for Valentine's Day, and it's close enough. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but with these two words are what we're going to look at. We're going to look at remember and surrender. Now, honestly, when you think about going into battle, these are not the words you think of. Okay, uh, you don't think of a coach coming up and saying, hey, remember how bad you were last week <laughs> or remember uh, the past? It's all about the forward. It's all about the next game. So this isn't a great little talk here for moving forward. Let's remember and then surrender. 
Yeah, now there's a great word for victory right there. Uh, go in with the flag, uh, flag wave. But I think as we look at Joshua chapter 3 and 4, we'll see why these things are so crucial uh, to remember here. I was um, looking... Sorry, I, I did something different here, bringing up this super-duper little briefcase here. And this got me a little confused. Uh, but we all, uh, I'll explain why that's up here with, with me in a few minutes. Uh, I was looking this week, uh, speaking of Super Bowl, I don't know if you've seen the, this ad campaign. They've been running it for a while, the Jesus Gets Us ad, ad campaign. I don't know if you've seen that at all uh, on different ball games. Uh, apparently, a billion dollars been has been invested into this ad campaign. The Jesus Gets Us, uh, $20 million spent on advertisements for tonight's games, uh, that idea. But I was reading about that this week. I thought it was kind of interesting because they were just saying how much they want to uh, make a connection somehow or uh, between Jesus and the culture of today. And as I was reading what they wrote about today, they just mentioned that the culture of today continues to move away from God. And we want to try to bridge that gap. And uh, the Bible does say in Hebrews that uh, we have a high priest who understands us, he gets us, he's tempted at all points like we have been. So the campaign is, you know, he gets us, he understands where we, we are to try to reach out. But when I was thinking about that gap between culture and God, which so often is so large, uh, you know, such a big deal here, here I think the things that we're going to talk about today help us uh, to understand that uh, there is definitely a battle that we face. Following God is going to be a counterculture. Okay, so God wants to prepare us going into this battle. And in this text, there are going to be three specific things he talks about, but let's go ahead and read. I'm not going to read all of 4 and 5 today, but we're going to read some sections of it. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, and he said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel. He said, as we're going through the Jordan, as God is giving victory, I want you to gather these stones. I want you to pick it up on your shoulder so you kind of visualize how big that is uh, uh, to carry that, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So God says, we just celebrated a great victory. We just saw God do something in your life. Uh, you need to remember this. I want you to focus. I want you to remember it. We're going to set up a little memorial. We're going to take these 12 stones. We're going to set them up. And when the kids say, Hey, what's, what's the deal with those pile of stones? Uh, well, we can tell them of God's faithfulness. We can tell them of God's power. And I think as we move forward on this, the idea and the importance of remembering needs to grab us. Uh, we did communion a couple weeks ago. We like to vary it on different Sundays so that the kids' workers don't miss the same thing every, every month or, or whatever like that. But I thought two weeks ago might be too soon. But when we focused on this word remember, I thought, we and we're going to come back and talk about, I mean, what more do we do here as an act of remembrance than the Lord's Supper? So we're going to observe that again today. But, uh, but it said, hey, I want you to take the time and stop and remember what God has done. And we need... Listen, we need to learn to be proactive as far as making sure that we remember God's working in our lives. I appreciate it. 
Adam stopped and said that today when we were going through that song. He said, hey, wait a minute, think about a transformation that God has done in your life. We need to do those things because otherwise we have a great tendency to forget. We get amnesia about the things that God has done. And what creeps in there then is arrogance. You know, I've mentioned this before, and you know this is a struggle that I have. Whenever I'm walking on a good path and I'm doing well and I'm standing for God, pretty soon I become downright impressed with myself. <laughs> yeah, Aren't I wonderful? You know, so often I'm like, God, I can't do this without you. I can't make it without you. And then you get done and you say, I did it. Um, it you know, it's kind of, you've probably heard this, this is old time. Every once in a while I have to go way back in, in my sermon what repertoire. But uh, I remember pastors telling the story about this guy that, uh, you know, he's out in the wilderness and he, he falls off his horse or he's thrown off his horse. And he just catches himself and he's hanging on the edge of a cliff. And he's not much of a praying man, but, you know, at this point, he's a praying man. And he starts, dear God, you know, if you'll get me out of this mess, if you will get me out of this mess, I will serve you forever. If you just, just please God. And he prays through the whole thing. He says, amen. Sure enough, a guy comes by and says, hey, can I help you? Gives him a hand, helps him up. The guy gets up, dusts himself off, and says, never mind, God, I'm all right. I got this. <laughs> Didn't need you after all. And uh, that's how we are a lot of times. You know, God, get me through this mess. But then once we get through, there's an arrogance comes in. Or, like the children of Israel did so often, they go back to fear. They're, they're afraid of something. So we want to make sure that we remember. Okay? Why are we to remember? First of all, this passage has already told us for our family. For our family, we need to remember what God has done, okay? The significance of what they set up there in a memorial was not these stones. They were very, there was nothing special about them. The significance was not the stones. It was the story, okay? They needed to tell them the story. Why are these stones here? Well, that gives you an opportunity to share what God has done, to share the mighty hand of God, to share the mighty power of God with them. Can I tell you, quite honestly, Ladies and gentlemen, especially moms and dads, but grandparents and all of us, we are custodians of the stories of God's faithfulness. We are tour guides to the Christian life. And we want to be figuring out a way to pass the stories of God's faithfulness on to future generations and let those stories shape them. Yes, the stories that are true from God's Word, the stories of God's power in our life, this is a big deal to God that we transform transfer this truth on to future generations, that we proclaim him to the coming generations. So important that we do this. You know, we mentioned with the all-in thing that every church has need of children's workers. And man, how, how much we need that. How much we need folks who will be passionate about saying, hey, if I have an opportunity to impact a future generation, somebody in the future generation, I want to do that. This is crucial. God wants us to pass along the stories of his faithfulness. There's a story in the book of Chronicles, uh, chapter 34, about a time when uh, Josiah, I believe, was bringing about uh, or leading in, in the past towards revival. But he said they were looking for some other things in the temple, and they found the Torah. And they hadn't seen it for a long time. The Torah, if you don't know, was the Scriptures. It was the first five books of the Bible, and they found it. And it was like, well, people were kind of like, what is that? They had forgot about it. And how, how sad that is, what an indictment that is. And we can become like a, we, we, we forget. I'm, I'm going to be real self-righteous here a little bit, I guess, when I say this. I am sometimes flabbergasted by the lack of biblical knowledge that God's people have, even people that have been going to church their whole life. And if I can be mean, okay, can I for a second? You know, we figure out how to do what we want to do in life. Do, do we not? I mean, honestly, if something is important to us, we figure out how to do it. 
So when I stand up here and say we need to pass on God's truth to a future generation, well, I don't exactly know how. I get it, and, and, and we can try to, and small groups will talk about that this week and how we can do that and how we can help each other. But bottom line is, folks, we figure out how to do what we want to do. I remember we had some friends that when it was time to sign up their kids for soccer with our kids, they were like, no, we can't. It's too expensive. Now, that's fine if they didn't have the money, but uh, then we find out their kids were signed up for hockey. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but hockey is expensive. Uh, you got to pay some money to do that. Again, I just thought, yeah, you can't afford a stinking old pair of shorts, but, uh, you know, that I'm just saying, I'm not criticizing hockey or soccer. Uh, yeah, I could criticize soccer, but anyway, the, but the truth is, we figure out how to do what we want to do. And when I say it is a big deal to God that we pass along the stories of His truth and His greatness and His power in our lives, when I say that's a big deal to God, then we need to figure out a way to do it. Okay? We need to make it happen. We need to proactive, be proactive and say. I was thinking about this yesterday, and I was sitting there. Uh, I made a phone call to my son, but I, I thought so much about this. You know, Travis will always say to me, hey, Dad, how's the church going? And the last thing I would ever want him, and, and this wouldn't be true if I said it, but the last thing I'd ever want him to hear from me over and over again, oh, it's hard. Life is hard. Following Jesus is hard. Now, there are some aspects, we've talked about that, where there's some difficulty there, but I want my life to communicate. I wouldn't trade anything I'm doing for anything. Yes, I, you know, I've tried to live for the Lord for, you know, decades now. It's great. That's how to do it, buddy. <laughs> this is good. I want to pass this along to future generations. How important it is that our lives say that. You know, that's uh, that was on my mind, you know, when we uh, prayed even at the end of the worship time because I'm thinking about this name of Jesus, but it is our lives that are proclaiming His greatness. Our lives that are telling others what a beautiful name it is. You know, the Jews uh, were very much into structuring their lives around remembrance. They had all types of ceremonies and festivals and things where they'd celebrate God and what He had done. And the Jewish culture has survived thousands of years of persecution and hatred. How long will our culture survive? I don't know. That's uh, so much what preserved them is that looking and saying, hey, this is who God is. And, uh, okay, so that's number one. The first reason why we want to make sure that we are remembering some things is for our families uh, let's read towards the end of uh, chapter 4. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal. We'll stop at Gilgal in a, in a few moments here on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers what this means, um, you shall tell them Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord our God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, and the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up. Has anybody ever read a passage of Scripture any worse than what I'm doing? <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't know why, why I'm jumping ahead on words all the time. Uh, but he closes up, and he says, after that happens, so all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. In that last verse, we see a couple other reasons to remember. We want to remember that all the people of the earth may know that our lights are a testimony and a witness to his life for I'm going to use this word I'm going to say outsiders I don't mean that rudely in any way but I, what I mean is those who are outside of the faith those who don't know God they need to see that uh, there is a powerful God at work in my life they need they need to see that my life needs to proclaim proclaim that in that way when um, the first house that we bought 
um, was in a little area over in South Bend called McKinley Terrace. I don't know if any of you know where that is. It's between McKinley and Edison and kind of Hickory borders it in there. The homes in there, our home was 950 square feet, so we were a cozy little family. Uh, and the, But we you know, ha had a good time and everything. The house beside us was the same size, had a family of six in it. And uh, be between the houses was a driveway, and that's it. If you've ever driven through there, that's it. So if you want to spy on your neighbors, you didn't have to have a telescope. You just had to open a window. Uh, uh, you could find out everything was going on. Well, we, when we moved in there, we we had asked God for an opportunity to be a witness, to be a light to somebody. And we had these neighbors next door that we tried a bunch of different things to, to get them to come to church. And uh, they, they never really did. And we had pretty much thought, oh, well, whatever. One, it was the first January Sunday. They must have made a New Year's resolution. They were, they were going to try church. And uh, they showed up at our church and tell us they were coming or anything like that. And I don't know if they missed very much after that. They, they jumped in uh, full speed. But, you know, we kind of talked to them later and said, you know, yeah, yeah we decided we'd go to church. And, and you guys seem to have something going on. Okay? You guys seem to have a piece that maybe we, we don't have. Uh, it's it cracked me up because for years they referred to my wife as the church lady. <laughs> Way in that special. Uh, some of you remember the old uh, Dana Carvey character, but they refer to her as the church. I don't think of my wife as the church lady. You know, she's way too cool for that. But, uh, but, uh, but you know, she was the church lady, and there was nothing in the fact that we went to church, what they saw us walking out with our Bibles all the time that drew them. But there was something in what they saw in our relationships. And they say, hey, there, there is something different here, and we're going to go. And that's, that's what we're called to do. Uh, follow him. Show the light of Jesus in really just in how we are living our, our lives. Um, if you were to ask Jim Harbaugh, <laughs> sorry, I'm trying to connect with the crowd here. Or, oh, man, wait, I had to write it down. I don't know why I keep blanking on Notre Dame's coach. Don't tell me. Marcus Freeman. Uh, but if you were to ask one of those guys, what is their number one recruiting tool? Do you know what the, the best recruiting tool is? Anybody want to take a shot? Starts with a W, ends with an inning. Winning. Yeah, that's the number one, is you want to show them a culture of winning. I won't mention that it's been 25 years since Michigan has actually won a national title, but uh, they, they split that with Nebraska. And I won't mention that it's been 34 for Notre Dame, but uh, I, I, won't, I won't go there. But I'm sure when they bring candidates in, Jim Harbaugh says, hey, you know what? The last two years, we've made it to the Final Four. We have, we're, we're building this winning tradition. I'm sure that Marcus Freeman says, hey, look at these banners that are hung here. Look at the banners that we have of the national championships of Notre Dame and everything like that. We're going to show you a winning style. We're going to show you something like that. So we have been talking in the book of Joshua that it is a blueprint for victorious Christian living. Okay? That's why. Okay? Or that's part of the reason why. It is a witness. It is a testimony to others that we walk knowing what this walking in victory is all about. Winning is that recruitment tool, if you will, you know, even uh, to Christianity. Also, from that last verse that we looked at, he gives another reason there. He says that you may fear the Lord your God forever. I want you to remember these things for your family so you can tell them the story so you can pass it on. I want you to remember what God has done so that it will be a light to others. They'll see a victorious Christian life in you. I want you to remember these things that you may fear God. So I guess we could say for yourselves that we would have some idea what it means to fear God in the right way. You know, I mentioned the little ad campaign, and, and I, I think that's pretty cool that 
as you say, he gets us, he understands us, and that's important. Somewhere we might have to have one, though, that says, fear him. <laughs> I don't think it'll be real popular, uh, but, uh, but somewhere we might have to, you know, Super Bowl break, fear God! Well, I really like that idea, but this is something that so often, you know, we're, we don't get the idea that if we truly feared God with a reverential awe that we're supposed to, it would produce obedience in our lives. And we, we kind of we miss that whole thing, the, the importance of that reverential awe for who God is. Uh, like I said, it's, it's, it's not a popular idea, but how crucial it is when it comes to obedience. Um, most of you know that, you know, I'll do a little bus driving for Edwardsburg every once in a while. Though, and the uh, truth is, somebody asked me today, I, I haven't driven a route all year. And they haven't called and asked me to. <laughs> <laughs> the more I think about it, uh, it might be because I stink at driving elementary kids. I just really do. High school kids, no problem. I've said this before. They get on. They get on their phone. They're quiet. It's all good. Here's your house. Uh, like that. Elementary kids, you'll find it's hard to believe, but I have a tendency to goof around with them, like when they're getting on the bus. You know, make fun of them. You know, hey, you're ugly and your mother dresses you funny. You know, that type of thing. Uh, and uh, it doesn't create a real reverential awe. That's the, the uh, I don't know how else to say that. In fact, what it creates is they think everything's a joke. So when I say, be quiet and sit down, it's a joke. <laughs> I say, stop hitting him, it's a joke. Uh, but what, what I have learned is that I don't really uh, bring a fear. And as a result, I don't bring any type of obedience either. God says, I want you to know just how, I want you to remember the things I've done, because I want there to be a reverential awe. I want you, there to be that fear in your life that you may actually fear him. Now, um, when I talk about having some things that help you remember, I I confess to you, I've actually brought this here before, but but I, I'm going to do This is my super-duper uh, computer bag, briefcase, European carry-all, man purse. I don't know what it is. Uh, but, uh, but this is what I'll use when I have to pack up some stuff here. I am the least sentimental person. Oh, by the way, if our remembering doesn't produce obedience, it is probably not biblical remembrance. It is more of just a sentimentality. Well, I have to confess I am not a very sentimental person. I go through things every once in a while and just throw stuff out. that people. How can you throw that out? And I've gone through all my old yearbooks. They're gone. All my old pictures, they're gone. Sometimes my wife will be like, you're throwing out your birthday card. I was like, my birthday was two weeks ago. Uh, you know, like I've learned to bring them in here and throw them out so she doesn't find them in the trash. Uh, but I'm not, I'm just like, why you hold on to them? You know, why, why are you holding on to these things? I don't know. I don't hold on to very much at all. But I did want to show you something that just this kind of illustration of what I hold on to. Because I, I carry it in here all the time. Um, like, in fact, a few things. This is a card from my grandkids. That got added in here recently. Uh, this is a card from my wife, and it, it's, it's been through the fire here. Uh, well, it's been used a lot of bit, and it's been read a lot. My wife sent me that along with this little note uh, that I keep, and I bring out every once in a while and read the little note. Again, they, they've been well used. They come from a time when God showed up in a big way in our marriage, and we really needed him to. So I like to go back and remember that, okay? I, li I like to go back and remember that. I also have this paper in here. of a. It's actually a kind of a weird little thing. It's my death certificate. 
Uh, <laughs> we wondered. Uh, no, but uh, it is, you know, the whole idea of dying to self and everything like that. This is kind of a commitment to God like, like that. And again, you know, it was something that I kind of went through and made some decisions in my life and, and surrendering some different areas of my life like that. So I hold on to this as remembrance. I say this to challenge you. And again, you're hearing from somebody who is, you know, barely has a sentimental bone in his body. I don't save much at all. But I do want you to have some things like that. Have some things in your life that you remember and because God calls us to do this. Now, I'm going to go ahead and move on to our second word there. We're going to move on to surrender. I did want to, well, let's go ahead and read the uh, beginning of chapter 5. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites were beyond the Jordan, uh, to, I'm sorry, were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan all the people, uh, so that all the people of Israel could cross over, here's what, their hearts melted. You get that? They were scared. Seriously? He dried up the Jordan and they came across. There was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint, flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gilbeth Haraloth. Okay, now, we're going to get into that story, that battle plan in a second here. I just want to take just a minute and talk about this place of Gilgal. Where they have, because uh, I actually, <laughs> you know, again, I'm, I'm scanning the Internet. I found a sermon on Gilgal. It was a sermon. It was called Get Your, it was called Get Your Backside to Gilgal. Well, let me, let me kind of, uh, I, in fact, I cleaned it up. The pastor was a little bit more loose. <laughs> uh, but uh, but he, uh, he was talking about that idea that Gilgal was a place of where you got together to remember, to celebrate, to worship, to prepare to go out, uh, to gather. Okay, let me say those words again. Does that remind you of anything we have today? A place where you gather to worship, to celebrate, to prepare to go out. Anybody catching my drift here? Gilgal kind of gives us a little picture of what we're, we do on, what we're to do here when we gather together on Sunday morning. It's a good picture of church. By the way, if you are ever looking for a bed at this church, there are none. There is a good-sized couch in Josh's office, and you can catch him sleeping there periodically during the week. But, uh, but there, is no, there are no beds here. This isn't, uh, this isn't where you come to stay. This is where you come to prepare to go. Okay, and that's kind of that idea. Now, let, let me move on, though. I want to get to this word uh, surrender here a little bit because truth of the matter is when you look at this plan, totally nutso strategy, okay? Israel was at the place where it was, it was time to go. The people were scared out of their minds, okay? Wait, he dried up the Jordan River and they came across on dry ground? We can't mess with that. We can't fight against that, God. Now is the time to go. Now's the time when the coach comes in and says, we got them where we want them. Let's go. And God says, hey, instead, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stop. And I have to brush aside my junior high sense of humor so I don't go off track here. But we're going to stop and we're going to circumcise them. They haven't been circumcised through this time. Okay, not a great battle strategy. Okay, hey, let's do this. Let's incapacitate our army for a few days. <laughs> now, I got, you got to be thinking some of them would have said, uh, couldn't we have done this on the other side of the Jordan when we still had the Jordan to protect us? Why would you bring us across here where they could come at any time, and now you're going to incapacitate the army? That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, okay? That doesn't. So often in Scripture we read examples of how God says this is how we're going to fight the battle, and it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Because here's the thing I'd like you to 
remember? In God's boot camp, the main thing that he is trying to teach us is trust and faith. Trust and faith. Okay, that's what he's after. You know, we're, we're like, you know, what, what is God trying to teach? I can tell you most of the time what he's trying to teach us. He's trying to teach us to depend upon him. Okay, why would you make yourself vulnerable like that? Why would you incapacitate your army? And, you know, when, when you're on that side, it doesn't really make sense. This isn't a great strategy. But he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. Will you obey me? Will you do what I've told you to do? In a step of, of trust and faith. And, man, if we can come back to that idea, that's what God is doing in our lives so often is he is teaching us to trust. Anybody like me say, I'd rather just have him answered ahead of time so that I don't have to trust? I'm like that a lot. But God is teaching us to trust him. Now, I want to develop this idea of what took place here a little bit more. Literally, um, circumcision was cutting away of the flesh. But figuratively... It was God, um, Scripture uses this phrase a lot, circumcise your hearts. Figuratively, it was the fleshly nature that we have. Let's get that out of the way. Circumcise your heart. So it was a devotion. It was a consecration to God that they were doing there. Now, I want to take a minute and uh, show you a, a little clip from a movie. It's uh, one of C.S. Lewis' Narnia movies. Uh, it's called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. The, the clip is only about a minute long. I thought about, you know, should I try to explain what I'm looking for? But I, th I think I'll have you watch it, and then, then we'll come back and talk about it. In the story, I can tell you this. That it, it's, I think it's the third in the series. And he is, uh, there's a character in there by the name of Eustace. And Eustace, if you watch the movie, is just an irritating fellow because he's all about himself. And what happens is, uh, he, what is on the inside of him comes out, and he turns into this very ugly dragon beast that is the villain of the story. And as we start this here, you're going to see this dragon beast flying, and the, the dragon is wounded, and uh, the little girl in the story is going to pray uh, Aslan, who, if, you, if you're familiar all with the stories, Aslan is the picture of Christ. Aslan, would you save Eustace? Would you, would you rescue him? What happens here? So, again, just for one minute, I want to go ahead, guys, if you would, and play that for us. I don't know if you noticed this, but, okay, I said this Eustace was what he was on the inside come out in this beast. What does he do when he first sees Aslan coming? Got to get rid of this. Got to get rid of this. I got to get rid of the flesh. How's that work out for him? It doesn't. Not so good. You cannot defeat the flesh in the power of the flesh. Okay, it's like, if you want to say fighting fire with fire. You, know, where you cannot defeat the flesh in the energy of the flesh. That's why the Bible says that we are to walk in the spirit and we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That is why, you know, more than anything, I want to start us around here saying hey, the first thing we want to be is connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, having a, a relationship with him. Because and, and this is a quote from uh, Charles Stanley in his book on the Holy Spirit, but he said, if the Christian life is just a matter of trying harder, then there is no need for the Holy Spirit, okay? And I wanted to bring this up there because when I think about this idea of consecration, uh, it, it is a matter of just surrendering to God. Again, think about what the Israelites did. Now, We're ready, we'll go! No, they really, what God had them do, incapacitated them, made them totally dependent upon God. And the more we can get that, you know, we're, we're singing today, and, you know, again, Adam stopped us and said, hey, think about this for a second. You turn beauty into ashes. You are the only one who can. 
okay? And as we sang that, I thought, man, that, that's exactly where we're going here. I can't get rid of the flesh, okay? I can claw at it and everything like that, but you need to have that moment when God, through his power, you know, gives you that Shrek uh, moment where he's transformed up there or Beauty and the Beast or whatever that looked like. But what he does is he says, I can rip away that flesh and that fleshly battle that you're fighting with. I can give you that victory and anything like that. But I want you to come to a place where you're trusting in me. Remember what he's, what he's trying to do there. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so excited about this. I'm like, man, I, I hope we can hold on to that. I, I just get, a, get, get that idea because I have done that so much in my life. Ugh, I'm going to beat this thing. I'm going to get rid of this thing, this ugliness. I'm going to get rid of it. And finally, I surrender. And I say, God, I can't. I've tried. And, folks, i got decades of trying some things before I finally surrender. And I, and I, and I have some more things probably that need surrendered yet. To say, God, I can't beat this without you. I can't do it. The flesh is too strong. Um, as I said, when, when I thought about the message and the idea of taking some time to remember, there is nothing that we, d- that we remember more significant than the fact that God gave his son. So I thought it very fitting that we take a moment and, uh, and remember that today. Uh, and we do this again about around here once a month. It is open to anybody who is uh, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their faith is in what these elements represent. And that would be the uh, body of Jesus Christ which was given for us and the blood of Jesus Christ that is shed for us. Uh, So we're going to play a little song that is just called Remembrance. And as we do that, folks are going to come and they're going to pick up a cracker that uh, they'll take as an element of communion and then a, a cup and they'll take it back to their seats. And then in a few minutes, we'll take those elements together uh, as God's people. But I want to say again, there is nothing, okay? I, I, I want to encourage you to, to have some rocks that you put in your life, some stones that you put in your life and say, I want to remember this. But there is no no more significant remembrance than what we'll do right now. This is what Jesus told his church to do. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of him. So I'm going to pray. Song's going to begin to play. uh, The elements are here. They are also back in front of the sound booth back there uh, that you can serve yourself the elements of communion. Father, thank you. I love that picture, Lord. I thank you that you got C.S. Lewis to write that book, and they made that movie. I, I love that picture of just the whole idea of um, that we can't defeat our flesh, that we can't get rid of it, that we need your supernatural power. And, Lord, I love that we get to gather as your people and remember where that power was most manifest in that God gave his son and that uh, God rose again from the dead, that he laid down his life for us, Lord, would, would you, yeah, yeah, Lord, I, I'm kind of goofy. I, I want to create a special feeling. Uh, I'm goofy about that, Lord. I'm sorry. I know, I know I'm goofy like that. I can't do that. Well, Lord, would you make this a powerful time in our lives? Grab our attention and focus it on what it is that we're remembering now. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.